Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wassalamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Amma ba'd. Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursalin. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik wa sallim One of the goals of almost all of humanity is to maintain their health and their happiness. And this is a common theme that you see people discussing today. How can people remain healthy? How can people remain happy? And it is present this discussion is present in every culture all throughout the world one of the beautiful aspects of our deen is that it teaches us principles that are not just relevant to akhirah but also relevant to dunya meaning that the paradigm that our deen establishes if a person engages it and follows it allows them to achieve success in both this life and the next. And these two things are not mutually exclusive, meaning we don't have a a paradigm that says you need to do these things in order to achieve success in this life, and then you need to do these things in order to achieve success, success in the hereafter. The whole thing is one package. If a person lives their life according to the sunnah, then they will achieve success in both this life and the next. It's one package, which results in a complete product. In this whole discussion, um, it's interesting to see how many people have different opinions concerning how does a person achieve this goal. And I'm telling you, you can just drive to Barnes & Noble's bookstore, and there's book upon book uh, written about how does a person uh, become spiritual, how does a person become, person become quote-unquote, enlightened? How does a person become happy? How can a person achieve success? How can a person uh, remain healthy? How can they be well? And they talk about the same topics, but I can tell you that like the advice is all over the place. The beauty of our deen is that it actually lays down a very simple principle, and if we understand this one principle, then we can answer, I would say, let's say 80, 90% of all of the issues that relate to how to be happy, how to be healthy, how to be spiritual, how to achieve success in this life and the next. And maybe the easiest way to have this discussion, you can honestly, we could have a whole two-week discussion on this. I'm just going to summarize the whole discussion today. The very easy way to have this discussion, or maybe the the way to establish the principle, 
is to just think about one of the verses of the Qur'an, which kind of establishes the foundation upon which the rest of the discussion is predicated. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِينَ I know we read, we read this all the time, <laughs> and we teach our children, and we probably heard it you know, hundreds of times, but it's worth just pausing for a moment and thinking about what the Qur'an is saying here. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ Indeed, we have created humanity. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ In the best of forms. Indeed, we have created humanity in the best of forms. Now, a couple things. First of all, the scholars, when they explicate this verse, they say, what does this mean when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that he has created or that he has created humanity in the best of forms? What does it mean to say that humanity has been created in the best of forms? It's more specifically, what does it mean, forms? And so the scholars, they explicate that this actually refers to both the physical and the spiritual makeup of a human being, along with the balance that exists between the two. So listen very carefully. The Quran is telling us that humanity has been created in the best form physically, and you can compare humanity to any other of Allah's creation, and you can see the unique physical nature of humanity and how amazing it is, and that this humanity has also been created in the best form spiritually, and that this physical and spiritual has been balanced in a perfect way. So this is a very all-encompassing statement. Now, why am I mentioning this statement? Because essentially what this is telling us is that you've, we have already been given the gift of being, correct, being uh, created in the perfect way. You don't have to go and seek perfection. Rather, you've already been given perfection. Now, there's a difference, right? One thing is to work to attain something. Another thing is to have something already in which case the focus becomes completely different. Let me just give you a whole different example to explain this. Let's say that you're born poor. Okay, Just make an example here for a second. You're born poor, and you have to go out and amass a fortune or amass wealth. Let's put fortune aside for a second, just amass wealth. So that's a different paradigm, right? If you have to go out and you have to figure out how am I going to make wealth, how am I going to amass wealth, how am I going to become successful... That's a very different paradigm than if you were born with a fortune and now you have to preserve the fortune. Do you see the difference? Right? These are two different conversations. If somebody comes to you and says, I want to be wealthy, right? first question is, do you already have wealth or are you trying to find wealth? Because if you're trying to find wealth, it's a completely different discussion. But if you're already wealthy, then we need to preserve your wealth. We don't need to find wealth. Correct? Okay. So you have to take that same concept and now think of it as far as it relates to ourselves. What the Qur'an is telling us, you're already wealthy. You're a billionaire. Spiritually and physically, you're a billionaire. You've already been created in the perfect form. 
You don't need to go and find what your perfect form is. Nor do you need to go and find how am I going to, you know, you need to go and find quote-unquote spirituality. It's already been put inside of you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already created you and given you, in the, given you the most perfect form. Not just anything, the best form. You've already been given the best form. You've already been given the best physical form. You've already been given the best spiritual uh, dimension to yourself. So what does that mean? It means that the whole game changes. Now it's not a question of acquisition. It's a question of preservation. You're already wealthy. You have to preserve the wealth. You don't need to go out and find the wealth. So right away, 90% of the books written about spirituality and health, they go out the window. Because they're telling you how to acquire those things. We're being told you already have those things. So what becomes, a, what becomes our responsibility? Our responsibility becomes to protect and preserve what we already have rather than to go out and seek and attain something. So what does that mean? It means that we need to ask the question, what are the things I'm going to let in the door? I already have what I need. What are the things that I'm going to let in the door? All right, let's paint this another way just to make this discussion very clear. Look, I will tell you, you know, because again, I'm in the medical field, so I can speak on this, that most diseases that a doctor sees are diseases that were self-induced by the patient. Okay, 80-90% of disease occurs because the person themselves caused the disease. For example, you know, diet is the number one cause. Diet on the top, on the list of things that cause physical problems in a, in a human being, the number one is diet. So a person eats, and they eat, and they eat, and they eat, and they maintain a certain diet, and it's not at the right frequency, and it's the wrong types of food, and all this stuff comes inside the system. And what does it do? One example, it creates diabetes. One type of diabetes. I'm not talking about the type that has a genetic propensity. Both have a genetic propensity. I'm not talking about the one that kids get. I'm talking about the ones that most adults have. All right, I can tell you, if you just look at a map of America, and you look at, let's say, 1960... 1960, diabetes was relatively rare. 1960, diabetes was relatively rare. Now we're in 2022, and 2022, 30-year-olds are calling you and saying they have diabetes. What do I do? 30, 35-year-olds, it's so common. High percentage of the population has diabetes, particularly, and it's younger and younger, the incidence of diabetes. You think diabetes all of a sudden showed up? No. Diabetes is because of the way people eat. And the fact that they don't move from their chairs or their couches or whatever habits we tend to ingrain within our lives. It's our own cause. It's our own eating. It's our own inactivity. It's our own lifestyle. Meaning we already had health. Okay, now, now, so, so let's go back for a second. Now you go to the doctor. You say you have diabetes. So now they give you like some medication, which is their job. I'm not blaming the physicians. But I'm just saying they write you a prescription. They give you some medication Right, And you just get in this circular loop. You're thinking, I went to the doctor to attain health. But the doctor is just taking care of the problem that got caused because we didn't preserve the health that we had. Right, So now you go off and take all these different medications because of a problem that didn't exist, but we created for ourselves. And the vast majority of situations that we face 
medically, our health, health, health wellness, health well-being, is all predicated on this. It's predicated on the diets, the inactivity, uh, the stressors that we allow into, we allow into our lives, uh, the way we live, the way we interact, the attitudes, et cetera, et cetera, that we have towards things, all of these things that affect what eventually damages our health or how, how our health ends up. So now you ask the question, you know, where does the battle lie? Does the battle lie in producing the next medication for diabetes? Is that the frontier of human health? That, like, uh, the guy who produces the next medicine for diabetes, you know, uh, has, like, served humanity in a great way? Of course they have. I'm not denying that a, great, a, a medication can be created that can benefit human beings. C- certainly there's a need, and I'm not trying to put that need down, but what I'm saying is, wouldn't it make much more sense to just have avoided the problem to begin with? Rather than um, spending all this time, energy, trying to produce the new medicine and ignore, at the cost of ignoring the problem that actually caused it to begin with? I mean, another example, just maybe a more obvious one. Uh, you know, you think about like lung cancer. You know, most lung cancer, not all, most lung cancer is caused by cigarette smoking. Now, I can spend billions and billions of dollars producing drugs and uh, treatment paradigms and mechanisms to be able to uh, handle uh, lung cancer, but, and that needs to be done. I'm not saying that that doesn't need to be done. Don't quote me out of context. It's medicine, it's science, it's what they do, it's wonderful, it's a service to humanity, and it should continue. But shouldn't the real battle lie with the fact that people are smoking to begin with? Like, why are there one billion people on the planet that smoke? There's one billion people on, more than one billion. One billion is an old number. Why are there one billion people on the planet that smoke, which produces no benefit, but only creates a myriad of different harms. So, I mean, the battle lies there, and the dean is teaching us that this is where you have to start. This is where you have to start. You've already been created healthy and relatively spiritual. Now the question isn't, how do I attain health? The question is, how do I maintain health? And this is the key challenge that really faces all of us. There's a world out there who's not looking out for you and me. They're looking out for how much they make and how much they can produce and how much they can sell and what their revenues are going to be and what their top and bottom lines are. You think the cigarette companies wake up in the morning thinking about you and me and how they can benefit humanity? No, they're producing poisons and they're thinking about how they can sell it in the most efficient way, package it in the most, um, in the most appealing way, convince people that, uh, yes, this is bad, but it's not that bad. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and you know produce these and sell these to you and convince you that you need them, etc. I mean that's the nature of all of all of all of these corporations, all of the way the economy works in the world today. This is called capitalism. They're not looking out for you and me. They're looking out for themselves. You know uh, when they produce foods. I know this. You know they when 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 a company makes a food, for example, let's say there's a company they're making a cracker. You know, when they study the cracker, by the way, they study these things. They have scientists, they have labs. So when they study the cracker, they produce the cracker in a way that it digests as quickly as possible. You eat it, it feels like you have something in your hand. It feels solid. It feels like it's going to produce, you know, give you some benefit. But the goal is at the moment you put it in your mouth that it be, be dissolved and melt and disappear as fast as possible. So what do they do? They take out all the nutrients. I mean, uh, when you eat white flour... Flour is made of three things, right? 
I'm not, I'm not here to give you a lecture on flour, but flour is made of three things, and the outermost you know, part of the flour, they actually take it all away, throw it away, which is actually the nutritious part. It's the fibrous part. It's the part that stays in your system. It's actually the part that makes you feel full. It's the part that would actually have caused you to eat less. They throw that away because it's too inconvenient to eat. They give you the food that's basically made of the white flour. So now you eat these things. You burn them, digest them. You never feel full, right? And they just turn into sugars. They go into your body. They wreak havoc because the body's not used to absorbing at this rate. It wasn't designed that way. So it's absorbing. It wreaks all this havoc. And then people are just overloaded with disease. They never feel full. And the companies are basically selling you as many boxes as possible, right? As many Big Macs as they can create, they're sending. This is the nature of the way the corporations work. They're not looking out for you and me. I mean, yes, on occasion they uh, put, put it in a green box to make everybody happy and keep everybody off their back. But that's not their intent. Their intent is to produce a product that can sell as much as they can and generate as much profit as possible. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that they're looking out for themselves. They're not looking out for you and me. The Quran is looking out for you and me. It's on our side. It's not on anybody else's side. It's here for our own benefit. Sometimes we lose sight of this very important fact that you know even the podcasters, they claim that they're looking out for you and me, but they're looking out for themselves. It's their own popularity. It's their own followers. And eventually, when they get big contracts, it's based on their own revenue, you know, their own their own fame. The Quran is looking out for you and me. The Quran is telling us that we've been created in the best of forms. And because we've been created in the best of forms, one of the corollaries from that is that all we have to do in order to remain healthy and spiritual is we have to maintain that. So what does that mean? It means that we should ask ourselves the question, whenever we engage with anything, is this something that will help me to maintain the blessing that I've been given? That's a, it's a very simple question. right? Is this something that will help me to maintain the blessing that I've been given. Otherwise, let's look at it from a spiritual perspective. I've made this statement before. I'll repeat it again. We're not human. See, sometimes people come to me and they say, how can I become more spiritual? How can I become more spiritual? But I think it's important, again, to remember that we're not human beings looking for spirituality. Listen very carefully, because this is like that same principle just being repeated from the other side. We're not human beings looking for spirituality. We're spiritual beings caught up in a human, plagued with a human experience. Meaning we, our, our spirit, our soul is the essence of who we are. This is what we were given. This is what was put in this body. This is what's going to be raised. The problem isn't spirituality. It's already in us. The problem is that we plague it. We disease it. We bring in all this outside stuff which then basically causes us to have a lack of a spiritual experience because we're so focused on the body. So the dean essentially, you know, just here, you can take this even another step further. I mean, you know, the, the most rejuvenating experience for any Muslim, the re most resetting experience or most rejuvenating experience for any Muslim, all of us know, is the month of Ramadan, right? And the month of Ramadan essentially is what? A month of removing the things that we don't need. All we're doing in Ramadan is resetting ourselves and refilling our accounts to what they were before. You know, imagine if somebody said to you that, uh, okay, you're a billionaire, and you can go off the whole year 
and do all the stupid things in the world with your money. And once a month, we'll bring you, we'll top you back off and return you back to what you were. You'd be like, wow, that's a real deal. That's crazy. I could just go off and do these things, you know, and all of a sudden there's going to come this month and I can completely reset myself and reattain where I was. That's what Ramadan is. I'm not saying that we should go around and just damage ourselves throughout the year, but what I'm saying is that Ramadan really just brings us back to who we were. That's the beauty of Ramadan. It just resets us. We've already been created in the way that's perfect. It's perfectly balanced, and each component, the body and the soul, is already relatively at its perfection. Now, the question is, when we interact with the outside world, how can we maintain that goodness? How can we maintain that goodness? And the deen essentially just gives us a paradigm for that. It says, okay, you're given this beautiful gift of a soul, and this soul is the essence of who you are. But if you want to maintain it, you have to do a few basic things. You have to pray five times a day. You have to pause from taking in this whole world outside. You have to pause from the pursuits of the world that you're so engaged in. And you have to take five, ten minutes for yourself, make wudu, purify yourself, stand facing the qibla, reaffirm your connection with your Lord, and refocus on the direction of life that actually matters, which is your connection with Allah and the resultant hereafter that eventually is coming. That's the way that you maintain the soul. You have to spend a certain amount of the wealth that you achieve outside of prayer. Okay, now, prayer is prayer. You're not making money while you pray. Nowadays, you do because bank accounts keep filling, but... You don't make money while you pray, but when you're outside of prayer and you're out there making money in the markets, at work, doing the things that you do, then to keep yourself pure of the wealth and the greed and all of the natural inclinations that can invariably grow in a human being, you have to take a percentage of that wealth and donate, to, donate it to those in need. It's basically a purification. Zakat is just a purification. You have to take the month of Ramadan and reset yourself spiritually and physically by withholding the food and increasing the time in the masjid and giving some time to the Qur'an. You have to go for hajj so that you can reset your entire life and your existence, etc., rebalance yourself. This is what the deen is teaching us. And look how simple the paradigm is. Right? It's a simple paradigm of maintenance. Five prayers a day for five minutes? I mean, if I asked you to do anything for five minutes, five times a day, it would not achieve anything. It would maintain something. So this is just a maintenance paradigm. Now, of course, we can add to it. We can grow. We can develop. There's so many other things that we can do in our deen. But these basic things that we do, they help to maintain who we are. And so we have to ask the question of ourselves, if we're not feeling spiritual, what am I doing to mess up my spirituality? I don't need to go and, like, Look up online, type in Google, how do I feel spiritual? How can I attain spirituality? Okay, I need to go to this weird retreat in Hawaii and experience mushrooms, and now I'm going to you know, be spiritual. You don't need to do that. It's already within us. The problem wasn't that we were lacking spirituality. The problem was that we were poisoning our own spirituality by engaging in sin, by involving ourselves in things that we shouldn't be involved in, etc., etc. And the same point applies to our health and our wellness. 
The same point applies to our health and our wellness, which is basically our bodies. We've already been given the blessing of health and wellness. We're already well. We're already healthy. But the question is, how are we going to maintain that? Yeah, if I'm going to go out and eat uh, sweets three times a day and I'm going to go eat all these types of foods that are just designed to basically uh, you know, digest as quickly as possible and uh, keep me hungry all the time and et cetera, et cetera, then, of course, it's going to lead to disease. We're, we weren't designed. Our bodies weren't designed in that way. They weren't created in that way. So the challenge in all of health, not all of health, most of health, and the challenge in spirituality is basically to avoid the things that we shouldn't be doing. Now, from spirituality, the things that we shouldn't be doing, I mean, those are called sins. So we have to avoid those. And from the health perspective, the things that we shouldn't be doing, not saying that they're sins, but they're fairly obvious. You know, the diet that we should have, the number of times that we should eat, the types of interactions that we should have with others, all these things, they're fairly obvious. And I can tell you that 80, 90% of disease uh, actually is all caused by this, as we've already talked about. I mean, to me, I don't know, the whole thing just seems so upside down. People go out, they eat fast food, okay? Now the fast food companies make as much money as possible. Then they become sick, so then they go to the doctor. So now the doctor makes, the, the healthcare system is you know, running in the same thing. It's producing all of this money that comes from the government. Then the doctors have to prescribe medicines. So now the medicine companies are like making all this, pharmaceutical companies are like making all this money. The whole thing is a big circle. Right? Who suffers in the end? We're the ones that suffer in the end. Right? And what are we doing? We're running around working like, animals all day, you know, trying to make, trying to produce wealth. And in the end, the whole thing gets burned on this cycle, the circular cycle of foolishness, right? I mean, I think they should send all the medical bills to McDonald's and then we should, because that's who, that's where it's coming from, right? I mean, they should send all the medical, medical bills to the cereal companies. The cereal companies are make these cereals that are just basically all sugar. They melt in your mouth. It's not even breakfast. It's candy. Why don't you just send the kids with chocolate candy in the morning? What do you have to put cereal and milk? And they call it like a healthy food. It's not healthy food. It's totally garbage. So anyway, the point remains is that this whole thing is just a crazy cycle, and we're caught up in the middle of it. And spiritually, it's the, it's the same way as well. It's the same way. The things that we need to feel happy, they're not present in the, in the corporate world. You know, The things that we need to feel happy, and if we're feeling empty and we're feeling you know, sad, or we're feeling lacking, or we're feeling, feeling anxious, I'm just telling you 80% of that is likely just predicated on the way we live our lives. It's not a problem with our deen. Our deen is, it's not a problem with us. We've already been created in a, in a perfect way. And it's not a problem with our deen. Our deen has already given us a manual for how to maintain ourselves. It's a problem with us and the fact that we let people drag us off into left and right field. You know, we're the ones that sit on the phones all day and then, you know, engage in all of these different apps. And we think that this is like some sort of beneficial thing, but we don't see all the damage that's occurring. We're totally blind to all the damage. It's like the smoker, you know, who's smoking, 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 and doesn't see any of the damage that's occurring, but doesn't realize that every cigarette like induces five, seven mutations. There was a study, I think I talked about this one time, it came out that they they took a lung early early in the days when they first began sequencing all these cancers. They took a lung cancer and they sequenced the lung cancer in some patients, and they found that there were like I don't know 
let's say, 67,000 mutations. I forgot the exact number. It's something like this. And then they basically had a rough idea of how many cigarettes those people smoked. And they divided the total mutations by a cigarette, and they basically were able to show that if you just took it linear in a linear way, it's not linear, it's cumulative, but just if you just divided it in, in a linear way, it's like every cigarette was like five mutations. Every time a person smoked one cigarette, they induced five mutations in their DNA. And eventually these mutations pile up on each other, and then they, they cause a cancer. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that you can't see it. It's silent, right? Until eventually what happens is then you're sitting with a lung cancer, and you got all your family around you crying that, oh, my gosh, what happened? And you yourself are now looking at the possibility of death in a mirror. So the same thing is happening with all the things that we engage with which are not beneficial to us. You think that uh, this, uh, you know, like uh, sitting around and on screens all day, sitting around on social media all day, sitting around and uh, looking at the, the things that people put out, you, you think those things are happy and beneficial? They make a person happy and they're beneficial for us? They're not. Data proves it. You, why is there this rise in the rate of suicide all of a sudden? Why is there a rise in the rate of anxiety all of a sudden? Why is there a rise in the, uh, in the rate of uh, sadness and uh, depressive disorders all of a sudden? Why is there a rise in um, you know, uh, people feeling that they're not adequate? These things are... They're, I'm not saying they didn't exist before, and I'm not saying that there are other, aren't other causes, but... I mean, we should ask a simple question. All of these things have popped up in the last 10 to 20 years, you know, at a very rapid rate, and then you can ask a simple question, well, what has changed in the last 10 to 20 years of the way, how the way that people behave? And you'll see that it's one of the components, and studies have already shown this. I'm not seeing anything new. One of the components is this constant pinging that occurs. You know, you're, this system, this body, is not designed to take inputs 24-7. Our minds are not designed that way that every single second some new information has to just be hitting every neuron and you're just constantly firing and there's no time to reset. The body's designed to take a, a, an, an event and then some downtime has to occur. And then you, know, you, you engage with a group of people and then you move away and you walk away and you do other things. And then you engage with another group of people and you move away and walk away. Life used to run at this pace. And then... Maybe it's sped up with the printing press and the telegraph and the telephone. So it's reaching, 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 reaching until you hit a break point. Now you're at this break point where like 24-7, the goal is just to keep a person completely glued to a screen. Completely glued to a screen. I mentioned this before also. You know, the CEO of, 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 of Netflix, it was an interview with the CEO of Netflix, and the CEO of Netflix, they asked the CEO of Netflix, what's your major competition? They said, they asked him, okay, what's your major competition? Who's competing? Is it YouTube? Is it, um, what's the name of that battle shooting game that all the kids play? Huh? Fortnite. Is it Fortnite? Uh, what, what is it? So he was quiet. And he said, no, no, no. None of those things are a competition. Our competition is sleep. Our competition is sleep. Because people have to sleep, that's why they're not watching. Otherwise, they're watching 24th, whatever, the whole time they're awake. So anyway, I mean, the point that I'm trying to make is that, I mean, this is the state that we're in. Now, you think that Netflix wakes up and is trying to think about what's best for you and me? No, they're thinking about the fact that their share price is X, 
and they generated this much revenues last quarter, and they need to generate this much revenues next quarter to make their numbers so that they can keep their shareholders happy and re retain their uh, whatever stock price. And in the process, we're addicted and we're destroying ourselves. We're destroying ourselves. Like, there's no even understanding. This is, I'm telling you today that 40 years from now, everyone's going to wake up and they're going to be like, oh my God. And the, exa the example of this is the example of cigarettes 50 years ago. You know, 50 years ago, you won't believe this. What, what year are we? 2022, not 50 years ago. 80 years ago, 80 years ago, when you used to go to the doctor's office, they used to have cigarettes in the waiting room. Can you think about that for a second? 80 years ago, you would go to the doctor's office, they used to keep cigarettes in the waiting room. Now, imagine how ridiculous that sounds today, right? It sounds absolutely ludicrous that a doctor's office would have cigarettes in the waiting room. But that was just the nature. The doctor and themselves smoking, the patient smoking, and they're talking about health. It's completely upside down. It makes zero sense. Now it's evident to us. Why? Because generations upon generations of people ended up in their graves. All the different diseases that are related to smoking have taken millions, maybe tens of millions. Maybe it's 100 million. I don't know. If you look at the whole world, it's got to be in the hundreds of millions of people dead. Dead from, that's the proof in the pudding. Okay, then, only then, people began to speak out a little bit. I mean, yeah, the Surgeon General put out a report, and the physicians talk about it, but enough, it still hasn't been done, but we're still trying to stamp this problem out. One billion people on the planet smoke today, right? And, uh, I mean, this same thing with the way that uh, the world is running right now on this, you know, the way everything is on, we're on these screens all day. When you, when you have a generation of people that's you know, all dysfunctional and not able to achieve their maximum potential because of the fact that they're experiencing all these different mental health disorders, then it's going to become clear. And it's already slowly coming to light, but 10, 20 years from now, then it's going to become abundantly clear that we just trashed a whole generation of people. And who benefited? Wasn't I didn't benefit. You didn't benefit. Unfortunately, we wouldn't have benefited the dean because now we're like a burden instead of being able to carry weight on our shoulders. The only people that benefit are the, these companies. That's the people who benefited. Our dean has already made us perfect. I don't need social media or this type of food or these types of things to become perfect, to complete myself. I'm already complete. Beyond being complete, the only thing I have to ask myself now is what am I going to let into my life so that I can preserve the wealth I've been given. Not so that the world can trash the blessings that I've been handed, that I've been given by my Lord. The question isn't, should I go out and do these things? The question, the question isn't, it shouldn't be that, what am I going to go out and do? The question is, should I even let these things into my life? Before I speak, I should think carefully about what I'm going to say. Before I look at something, I should think carefully about what am I going to look at. Before I eat something, I should think carefully about what am I going to eat. And the dean already embeds this concept in us. When the dean tells us you can't eat these foods, it creates a concept in a person's mind. But wait a minute, before I eat, I have to think, what am I eating? There's such a thing as food that will harm me. And there's such a thing as food that will benefit me. This whole concept just comes from this basic idea of halal and, halal and haram. 
Once I have this notion in my head of halal and haram, now I need to ask the question, is this good for me or not? Now, of course, the entry level is I can't eat pork, but I can eat this. But on a more global scale, it creates a break. right? It creates a, a, a speed bump to ask more globally that, wait a minute, there is such a thing as food that's good for my body and food that's not good for my body. So before I put anything in my body, I need to ask the question, is this going to be beneficial for me? Okay, spiritually, it has an effect. Physically, it also has an effect. The same with before I speak. Just because I've been given a tongue doesn't mean I can rattle off and say whatever I want. I have to take a break. I have to pause. I have to ask very carefully. What, before I say anything, what am I about to say? What are its effects going to be? What are the ramifications going to be? Can I just go off and tweet whatever I want to tweet? Can I go off and forward a message about something that maybe I shouldn't be speaking about? All of these things that we participate in, whether we participate with the tongue or whether we participate with the thumbs, it's all the same thing. I have to ask the question, what am I letting into my ears? What am I putting out from my mouth or my fingers in this day and age? So these are all questions that the deen, like, you know, it teaches us that, wait a minute, there's good speech, there's bad speech, there's halal speech, there's haram speech. There is haram speech, right? Backbiting is haram speech. So it creates a paradigm in my mind. Wait a minute. There is a possibility of good and bad in the way that I speak. I need to pause. I need to think. And I need to be careful about what I say. That is the challenge. We've all, we, we are preserving the goodness that Allah has given us. We already have it. We don't, we don't want, we, we're, it's like a completely different attitude. When, when a person grows up in a family that's already had what they call, you know, uh, legacy wealth, they already have legacy wealth, they live life, they think about the world totally differently. They don't go off and make crazy investments. They make really conservative investments. You know, the, uh, when you look at the, I'm not in financial planning, but when you look at the financial plans of the people who have legacy wealth from generations, they're not off buying Bitcoin. Okay, Bitcoin, I'm not talking about that. I'm not criticizing Bitcoin, but I'm saying they're not off buying a risky asset. They're like buying real estate in like the most conservative place. They buy farms. They buy farms, real conservative real estate that generates a tiny percentage because they already have the wealth. They're just trying to preserve it, right? They're conservative. They're very careful about the way in which they expose themselves to the outside um, financial world. So I'm telling you and me, reminding myself and reminding all of us that we already have what we need. We're already billionaires. Now we should be conservative. We should ask the question, do, is this, do I need to do these things? Right? I've been given time, I've been given spirituality, a, a, a pure soul, I've been given a healthy body. Do I need to go off and engage in these things that I'm actually engaging in? Is this benefiting me? Is this actually going to cause me, allow me to be able to maintain the blessings that I've been given? And the vast majority of it ends up being filth. The vast majority of food that people consume is not, it's just garbage. It fills us, it for a certain time, and it pro pro provides us with a certain degree of nourishment, but it's not the food that the body was designed to eat to maintain its health. It's not. And the proof is in the pudding. I'm not going to take a survey here who has what disease, but you know, I know. We live in the world. We see what's going on. So, and these things are new. They didn't exist before. This degree of diabetes did not exist before. Go look in the 1800s. Uh, read about uh, you know how often diabetes was seen in the late 1800s. You can just read the history. You see diabetes was extremely rare, very rare. 
particularly type 2 diabetes, which is the diabetes that plagues you know, everybody above the age of 40 nowadays, 40, 50. So anyway, the simplest, simple point that I'm trying to make here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, that indeed, humanity, humanity has been created in the best of forms, physically and spiritually. And the implication of that, according to our scholars, is that our goal is not, we don't have to go out and work to attain uh, spirituality. We don't have to go out to work to attain health and wellness. We have to preserve who we are. If we preserve our health, we'll remain well. If we preserve our spirituality by the simple tenets of deen, we'll be experiencing our deen and we'll be experiencing, we'll be spiritual people. And we'll achieve success in this life and the next. So this is a reminder to myself, it's a reminder to all of you, that um, in both the seeking of health and in the seeking of the soul, and both the seeking of the perfection of the body and the soul, the battle lies in preservation, being careful about what we bring into our lives to ensure that we maintain the blessings that we already have. And it's a very different approach than trying to attain, number one, trying to attain something, and number two, trying to fix a mess after it's broken. We don't, you know, I mean, nowadays everybody breaks everything, right, by their diet, and then they have to go seek out health care because they broke the, the, the blessings that they had. The people are feeling lack of spirituality and are going off and doing all these different types of things to try to become more spiritual because they broke the inherent spirituality that already exists in a human being. There's an inherent happiness that Allah has placed in humanity so that they can survive on this earth and thrive in their striving towards him and towards achieving the hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to succeed. He doesn't want us to fail. Part of succeeding is to experience a bit of happiness in this life because that's what wakes you up in the morning. It's what keeps you going throughout the day. It's what causes you to aim high and seek all the blessings of Allah in this life and the next. And the deen teaches us to to seek those blessings. But we just need to be careful because the world, the vast majority of the world out there is not making decisions in our best interest. They make decisions for their own best interest, which often conflicts with our best interest. And unfortunately, we go along with it because we just follow the herd. You know, this herd mentality, we follow the herd and we just go along with what everybody else is doing, not recognizing how damaging it can be. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who appreciate the blessings that he's bestowed upon us and may he make us amongst those who are able to preserve all of these uh, amazing aspects of how he has created us. Wa akhirat ta'wana. أن الحمد لله رب العالمين